right? I'm on, I think. Good? It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I think the superpower that I always would have liked to have had was Superman. Like, I would be, he's my favorite superhero, I think. I mean, to be able to fly, that's pretty sweet. So, I told Mary through the first service that I may, when I retire, whenever that is, I may just become a pilot. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, Mary, let's go to Pittsburgh and have dinner today. I think it'd be pretty awesome. The problem is airplanes are really expensive, so I don't know if that's going to be in the old uh, retirement budget, but uh, we'll see what we can do. God is big. He does miracles. We're actually praying for a bass boat right now. Um, so we are, seriously, like God's going to give it to us. I just saying right now, um, Bass Pro Shops, they're giving away like 10, I, I shouldn't have told you, oh, you know what, I will, because God still knows we need it more than you. <laughs> I mean, the raft is pretty sweet that we've been fishing off of, but it would be sweet to have a bass boat. Anyways, Bass Pro Shops giving away 10 bass boats. Fish finder, big old engine, everything you need. Um, so, you know, a couple months we'll have it and we can show it to you. We're praying for it. All right, I um, am going to start my timer now. So I just gave myself about three minutes extra by starting the timer later. I've been trying to use my phone or my watch. That has not been working well. So we're going to go this route. Let's see how this goes. Bam. 50 minutes. All right, here we go. So the sermon series we're in is called Starting Point. And in this sermon series, what we're doing is we're looking at why the gospel has to be the starting point for us if we're going to live into our theme this year, which is on purpose, pressing into what matters most. And we have said that what matters most, Jesus has defined that for us, right? So we don't have to wonder about what matters most. It's living for God, loving Him and loving others as we love ourselves. So that's that's what we've been created to do. And in order to do that, we've got to start with the gospel because it's in the gospel we find the resources to actually live this way. So let me read this passage to you. Ephesians 1, 15 through 22. Here's the big idea that we're going to be looking at. Only through the gospel do we receive a new power. All right. So, so Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus. He says this, uh, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. All right, so there are five subpoints to unpack this big idea only through the gospel do we receive new power. 
The first point, or sub-point, or the first question we're going to ask is, power, what is it? What is power? Um, the dictionary defines power in two ways that I want to mention to you because I think they're applicable for us this morning. Power is the ability to do something or act in a particular way. Power is the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. And so, the greater the ability the person has to do what they want, the more power they have. And the greater the ability a person has to influence people and alter the course of events, the greater a person has. And that's why we talk about, uh, we, oft, we know this, that celebrities often have a lot of power. Because often they have financial resources to do what they want, right? And often they have a large platform by which they can influence a ton of people through. We also say that CEOs of large organizations have a lot of power because they've been given authority by their board to exert power over tons of employees. We say the same thing for leaders in the government, right? They, they've been given authority to exert power. Um, I've been on this kick to, I've been reading about the Beatles the last couple days. Um, and <laughs> what immense power the Beatles had. Um, I was reading about Billy Joel playing Shea Stadium and that was where Beatlemania really kicked off when the Beatles played Shade Stadium in Chicago. Billy Joel, he's doing a concert, and he thought it'd be a great idea to have Paul McCartney come and do the last couple songs of his concert. And so they contacted air traffic control and like allowed, you know, Paul McCartney was somewhere in the country. They got him through, he didn't even have to go through customs, flew straight to New York was police escorted right to the stadium, got on stage in time, just in time to perform the last couple songs. Talk about power. Have you ever like just walked through, didn't even have to go through customs? Like, imagine traveling like that. Power, that's power. Here's the thing though, we often think that celebrities and CEOs have a lot of power, um, but you have power too. And this is important for you to realize. We all have power because we all have spheres of influence in our lives. We have influence over our family, we have influence over the teams we lead or participate in at work, we have influence in the organizations we are a part of, we have influence in the community that we're a part of. You all have power. All right, so we've talked about what power is. Let's talk about who has the most power. So scripture repeatedly teaches us that God has unmatched power and authority. Why? Uh, because he's unmatched in his ability to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Nobody can stop him. He's also unmatched in authority because he has the right to exert his power over everything everywhere. He created it all. He sustains it all. He's unmatched in power and authority. Don't confuse authority with power, by the way. Authority is not power. It's simply the right to exert power, not power itself. Right? But he has unmatched power and authority. Here's a sampling of verses that speak to this reality. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The answer is no. 
Mark 10, 27, with God, all things are possible, even bass boats, right? Isaiah 14, 24, and 27. The Lord of hosts is sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass, and as I have purposed, so it shall stand. For the Lord of hosts has purpose, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? And again, the answer is no one. Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. Proverbs 21, 1, the king's heart is the hand of the Lord, is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Psalm 33, 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Daniel 4.35, he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Out of all the verses I read, this perhaps is, these are my favorite. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make, in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Wow! As the sustainer and creator of everything, God has ultimate power and authority, and He has the right to exert his power over everything, everywhere. And when you read these verses, how can you not, with the psalmist, say this? Psalm 89, 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? And again, the answer is no one. Now, there's one limit to God's power. So, there's one limit to God's power. Does anybody know the limit to God's power? I heard somebody say something. Acceptance of him, he can't lie. Acceptance of him, he can't lie. Um, Elsa, if that's you said that, you are like right there. Um, Billy Pierce got this last uh, uh, service, so I got to bring a candy bar because I said like I should have a candy bar to like award the person. So we're gonna get some candy bars and bring them next week. So the only limit to God's power is his character. God's power is only limited by his character. So, God is love. Therefore, God cannot use his power to do anything in an unloving way. God is good. So he can never use his power to do evil. God is holy. And so he'll never use his power to do something unholy. God is just. So he can never use his power to act unjustly. God is faithful. So he can never use his power to be unfaithful. He's wise, so he can never use his power to do anything unwise. The only limit to God's power is his character. Now, power, new power. Why do we need new power? What is remarkable about God, I mean, there's tons of things, but one thing that I find especially remarkable is that God is not a power-like hoarder. He delights in empowering other people. He delights in giving other people power and authority to exert. It's, it's, that's the kind of God we, we serve, right? 
Um, Genesis 1 and 2 are like the case in point because in Genesis 1 and 2, you have God creating the first humans. And what does he do? He says, I'm giving you power and authority to rule over the world on my behalf. Worship with me. It's God setting humans up to rule. It's pretty amazing, right? Now, were the first humans, were they content with this arrangement? No, they were not. They wanted ultimate power and authority. That's what the first humans wanted. They wanted to be the captain of their own you know, soul. They wanted to be the master of their own fate. They wanted to determine for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They wanted to be their ultimate authority. Um, and here's the result. And this is ironically true and, and deeply sad to, to think about. But in trying to steal God's power and authority for themselves, the first humans forfeited their ability to appropriately exert the power and authority that they were freely given. Isn't that crazy? Uh, their rejection of God like, just so darkened their character that then they started exerting their power in self-absorbed, destructive ways, right? Starting to lie, cheat, steal, gossip, take advantage of, murder. All of it started to come into the picture as you continue reading Genesis. Tim Keller, he says this, humans, when they attempt, listen to this, humans, when they attempt to become more than human beings, to be as gods, actually become lower than human beings. To be your own God and live for your own glory and power leads to the most bestial and cruel kind of behavior. We have followed suit. And so we are desperately, we're desperately in need of a new power. All right, so let's go to new power. How do we get it? Um, well, the big idea is that only through God, the gospel do we receive a new power and can get it. The gospel is good news of God once again exerting his power and authority, his influence through Jesus to restore our power as God's vice rulers, vice regents. Isn't that amazing? The all-powerful God leveraging his power so that he can raise us back to power. Phenomenal! Like, what other God, what other king operates in this way? In fact, the Apostle Paul, in our passage, he says that God's oh, great power was on full display in Jesus' resurrection and exaltation. Let me read to you again, verses 19 through 21. So Paul, is, he's praying that the Ephesians may know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Think about what God had to do to make Jesus' resurrection and exaltation a reality. Think about it. Think of the power he had to put forth. For example, Jesus had to live first, right? Think of all the prophecies that were fulfilled, that God orchestrated the course of human history. Talk about power to change the course of events 
so that Jesus would be born at just the right time and just the right way and just the right family and just the right location. Talk about poverty. And then he placed the Son of God inside of a virgin. No big deal. Right? And then Jesus, through his life, look at the power God exerted through Jesus as he raises the dead, as he walks on the water, as he heals people that are broken and hurting and demon-possessed and disease-stricken. Oh, the power of God that he exerted in Jesus' life. And then think about the power that Jesus exerted, that God exerted through Jesus in his death. And he died at just the right time in the right way. And then Jesus' mangled, bloodied body is there and it's dead and it's shredded. And here God exerts his power to raise him back to life, whole and healed and better than it even was before. Oh, the power of God. Right? Now, think of all of the things he had to orchestrate. And Jesus' resurrection and exaltation are the ultimate proof of God's power. Um, Jesus' resurrection is God's stamp of approval that Jesus really did become sin for us on the cross. He died for our sins. He paid for that sin. And uh, him raising from the dead is God's stamp of approval that that payment was paid in full. That's what God was doing in resurrecting him. That Jesus, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, it's really true. For he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And here's the thing. You want to receive God's power, this new power, you receive it by repenting of your sin and placing your trust in the resurrected Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then that's when God, he forgives your sin, past, present, and future. He adopts you into his family. He makes you his child. And then he fills you with his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And that is God's power. Um, Jesus, when he was raised from the dead and he walked on earth for 40 days, when he went to the right hand of the Father in heaven, what did God give Jesus to dispense? the gift of the Holy Spirit on his followers. And he caused the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them. Don't you see that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you have turned to Jesus in repentance and faith, it lives in you. No other religion promises this. What religion does, religions are good advice that you have to execute out of your own power. Christianity is no. It is a promise that when you turn to Christ, God's power will come live inside of you and will enable you to execute what God wants you to do. It's totally different. No other religion promises this. Um, So what are this new power's effects? The last question I want to answer here. So what does this new power do in a person's life? Well, um, Paul, right? Let's go back to verses 19 and 20. You can see in these verses, he's trying to find the language, the words to express just how mighty this power is for the Christian. And he wants the Ephesians to know this, not just in their head. He wants them to know it in their hearts. He wants them to taste it. He wants them to see it. He wants them to experience it and appropriate it and use it. This is what 
Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And here's the words he uses. First of all, do you know the word that's translated in our Bible's power is in the Greek? It's dynamis. Do you know where we get our word dynamite from? It's from this Greek word. And so what Paul is saying is like, God, God's Holy Spirit living in the believers is God's dynamite. It's explosive. It changes things. It makes a way where there's no way. It alters the whole personality, the whole person. It's dynamite. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says it's uh, the greatness of his dynamite. So Paul has to use the word greatness. And he doesn't stop there. He needs got to say the exceeding greatness of God's dynamite. But then he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And then he has to say according to the working of his mighty Dynamite. So Paul is saying, living inside of those Ephesians and living inside of you, if you are Jesus's, you have this exceedingly great, mighty dynamite of God dwelling in you. If this would become reality to us in our hearts, like if we really were able to apprehend this, the mountains would shake before us as the demons run and flee. No power would be able to stand against us. Um, the lost will come home. The bound will go free. The weak will be strong. The broken redeemed. The sick will be well. The hungry will feast. The mourning will dance. The blind will see. The church would arise with power and love. Our cities would know the glory of God. Do you know what is underneath your skin as a Christian that you are walking around with every second of every day? The same power that honed the universe. The same power that has made all the galaxies. The same power that mightily worked through Jesus. It's living in you. But this is just theory to us as Christians. It's just head knowledge. So, um, let me just, I'll close with this. Let's talk about some of the effects of the Holy Spirit living inside of a person. And I could read you all these verses, but it would take too much time. The Holy Spirit empowers us when we are weak to pray, Romans 8.26 tells us. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truth about God ourselves and the people in our lives he has called us to love and helps us understand the future John 16 13 the Holy Spirit teaches us what Jesus taught and reminds us of his teaching John 14 26 the Holy Spirit testifies to our hearts the beauty of Jesus you know that the Holy Spirit is having his way in you when Jesus and God the Father become more glorious to you more lovely to you you know it's at work because that's what the Holy Spirit does it testifies to our hearts regarding their beauty. That's from John, team, John 15, 26. The Holy Spirit provides us encouragement, Acts 9, 31. The Holy Spirit calls us to service, Acts 13, 2. The Holy Spirit fills us with boldness to speak God's word to others, Acts 4, 31. The Holy Spirit strengthens our inner man, 
Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. The Holy Spirit brings us joy even in the midst of suffering, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. The Holy Spirit brings us freedom, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. The Holy Spirit empowers our obedience to Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 22. The Holy Spirit transforms us in the image of Christ, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts for the building up of the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. The Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and helps us understand and really experience that we are God's precious child, Ephesians 1, 13 and Romans 8, 16. The Holy Spirit helps us wait for the fulfillment of God's promises when he returns and makes all things new. Galatians 5, 5. The Holy Spirit acts as living water inside of our souls, renewing us and satisfying us. John 7, 37 through 39. The Holy Spirit leads us to people that are going to be receptive to the gospel and to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Acts 8, 26 through 29. The Holy Spirit enables us to abound in hope, Romans 15, 13. The Holy Spirit enables us to know and experience that God can do, as Ephesians 3:20 tells us, exceedingly, abundantly, all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Amen. Guys, I just, and I, this is my prayer for myself, if we could get this, if we could get this, oh Lord, may we get this. Um, Holy Spirit, help us to get this. So here's my application for you. So big idea, only through the gospel do we receive a new power. And when you have the Holy Spirit pulsating through you, you're gonna be able to love God well and love others well and love yourself well. Um, so let me ask you this question. Have you, through repentance and faith, have you received God's spirit that will make your heart new and give you a new power? Have you done that? Um, if you haven't, what are, what are, what, what's the obstacles to making that decision? It's good to think through that, you know? And like, what's keeping me from saying, Jesus, here I am. I've tried to live for my own power and glory. It's not working. You, you are only... You're the only one that really deserves because you have ultimate power and authority. And so I'm going to live for your glory. Forgive me. Here I am. I'm yours. What's stopping you from making that commitment to Jesus? If you have made that decision for Christ, are you grateful for this power that God has given you? Are you allowing yourself to be filled with the Spirit? You know how you can become filled with the Spirit is you set your mind on things above. Continually, regularly, consistently, you're, you are engaging in God's Word and you're engaging God through His Word, through prayer. That's how you become filled with the Holy Spirit. And are you experiencing the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings? So, this time last year, compared to this time this year, are you better at loving God? Have you grown in your love for yourself and for others? If not, something's wrong. This should be, next year I should be better than I am today. 
And today I should be better than I was last year. Right? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, uh, man, you are such an amazing God, that you have ultimate power and authority. Thank you that your character is such that we never have to be concerned about you abusing that power and authority. Thank you, Lord, that you not only have ultimate power and authority, that you are not a power, you're not a hoarder of power. And so you, you desire to empower us, and you did when you created human beings, and yet we have rebelled against you. We've tried to take ultimate power and authority away from you, and that has led to the unraveling of our world. But yet you are so good that you have pursued us in Christ, and you have died, and you have been raised from the dead so that you could reinstitute us um, back into power as your vice rulers. Lord, thank you that your power is such by the Holy Spirit that you make our character such that we no longer have to abuse the power that you've given us. Lord, may we as a church, may we, as Paul has said, like may we, I pray for our church, that that. You, God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe according to that mighty power that you worked when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places, above all powers and principalities, above all might and dominion, above all names. May that be real to us, Jesus. And may you, through us, change our city and our world. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.